production. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at WDWS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the program. We're with you until 11 o'clock this morning. As Mr. Gene Honda said, the phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Or if you'd like to text us, you got that number, 2-351-5357. Mr. Tate, as always, is in the house. Good morning, sir. Good morning. If you didn't stay up late, USA Basketball won the gold over France, 87-82. Fourth straight, I think, gold medal for the U.S. there in the men's basketball. The women will play later today for the gold. I'm glad the players didn't do what I did in the second half. Snooze off. asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got pretty interesting. Ken Brown is with us from the U of I, who stayed up to watch the game. And I did. You said it got a little Good little morning. Yeah, it got a little hairy late. at the end of there. They had to make a couple plays and get a stop and... Make a basket, make some free throws. They had a couple missed free throws. Uh, Lillard missed a couple, two free throws that really probably could have clinched it with about, I don't know, 35, 40 seconds to go. And France came down, hit a basket, and all of a sudden, you know, they had to get the ball inbound. There was a turnover. and um, But uh, when you have the greatest player in the tournament, Kevin Durant, uh, on your side, that is a pretty good advantage. <laughs> well, wrote him. After every gold medal that, that the U.S. has won, there's always been great cheering, jumping up and down. Was this one where you just took a deep breath and said, oh, <laughs> well, I mean, really? Yeah, you know, those, you know those, those pros, I don't think they quite jump up and down like, you know, you win, you know the, the college yeah. kids do in winning the NCAA, but you could tell they were happy and they were relieved and, and – um, um, after losing to France, I think, in the first game, right? I mean, I think they needed to come back and kind of prove themselves. France is a good team. Now, they, they had a – they got some big guys that really caused some problems inside. So, well, there's some good eight players. NBA players, right? Yeah, and it just shows you got players all over the world, right? I mean, great basketball players all over the world. And, uh, you know, our roster shows that a little bit. We've got guys from uh, a lot of different places. And, and um, the Olympics is another reminder how good the – the game has become everywhere. And coming up uh, later tonight, USA Women's Volleyball goes for the gold against Brazil. With yeah. A nice local flavor there. Hasn't that been fun? It's been yeah. fun to watch. And I, uh, uh, Poulter getting hurt, uh, turning her ankle. I, um, one of our staff members said he was texting with her, and um, it, it was the same ankle she'd kind of rolled before, and it, it felt the same. But it's uh, she felt like she was back and she practiced this week or after that and she, I think she was ready to play the last match in an emergency situation. Um, they didn't need her, and so she's I think she's ready to go tonight. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch them. I was told, um, you know, it looks like we've got a reunion uh, this in September um, with that with the 2011 team. Is that Barch's team? Barch's team that went to the national championship match. And um, so they will be here, I think, a really quick stop here because then they Hambly go to too? Turkey. I don't know. I don't know because mm-hmm. he'll be in season. 
but they'll but then they have to go right on over to Turkey, I think, where they're playing professionally, and so um, they it'll be a quick stop with their teammates and for a quick reunion. Then I think they're back out of here. So hopefully we can do something with them while they're here. Baseball scores from yesterday and last night: the White Sox beat the Cubs eight to six in ten. Cardinals behind Adam Wainwright beat the Royals four to two. Three weeks from today, at noon, going to be kicking it off. We and will. Uh, one, How about that? one week of football practice is in the books <laughs> pretty much now. Got through one week and, and had great weather, and then all of a sudden now we're going to have some really hot, sticky weather for the next week. So it'll, um, you get, they got through the non pads. Today's the first day of full pads, and uh, um, I know the guys are a bit tired. You know, it's, a, it's been a long week. Um, but today, I'm sure there'll be some energy out there today uh, with, the, with wearing pads for the first time. And then uh, they get tomorrow off, and then uh, next week, another full week of practice. Uh, Jordan Slaughter, uh, fractured ankle, just one of those things. If somebody rolled up on him, I guess, yeah, I was by there. an accident in practice. Yeah. So here's a, he was a, I think he was a, an offensive lineman. He was going to play some. I don't know if he'd start, but he was, he's certainly a contender, wasn't he? He was a guy, I think, that, that could plug two or three different positions there and would have been like a, a you know, Wherever, if there was a, a need Six in any man. spot, yeah, kind of like that. I think he's some versatility. Um, so it's unfortunate for him and feel bad. Anything else that, uh, along those lines that you've seen? Or you know, hey, Lauren, uh, you know I can't talk about injuries. You know, that's <laughs> well, not, I mean, <laughs> he, uh, Coach <laughs> talked about that one. Yeah, he did because normally when the season ends for a guy, the coaches yeah. don't mind talking about it. But I don't, I don't we, think I don't think there's really been anything else major that I've seen. Uh, you know, the, I think he talked about this the other day. You know, some of those guys that are coming off of injuries – uh, it's kind of I don't want to say a pitch limit, but they're kind of limiting mm-hmm. what they can do in practice so they don't overwork them. And so uh, Palcho, I think we'll see more as as we go along. You'll see he'll get more activity in practice. Um, guys like that will get see more and more time as we move through it. Ken Brown is with us. If you have any football questions relating uh, the start of the season, feel free to join us. Ken will be here till about uh, nine thirty. One question I got this week. Uh, several times was am I going to have to wear a mask <laughs> inside the football stadium or in the great west or east hall when you walk in or how's that going to work and then I realized three weeks away is like a lifetime yeah <laughs> as if we've learned anything over the last 18 months right through this pandemic uh, in the protocols and policies how quickly things change but um, you know as we sit here today I mean uh, you know there will be no restrictions on tailgating um, we have no attendance restrictions at this point in time so full attendance uh, uh, tailgating should be pre-pandemic uh, like mm-hmm. in the parking lots and I think most people who have tailgates know the people who are going to be at their areas right and so there's some you know as people comfortable with that um, it's people sitting in the stands certainly uh, there are no protocols right now that say you have to wear a mask so that there won't be uh, required mask wearing um, the people in the colonnades club if you're actively eating if you're inside actively eating and drinking of course you don't have to wear a mask if you're sitting outside in your seats you won't have to wear a mask if you're just hanging out inside you should probably wear a mask that's that's the current protocols and current uh thoughts and and policies that are in in place you'll be inside 77 club would be that way uh the suites uh, basically, we're going to leave that up to the the owner of the suite or the leasee of the suite to to make those decisions. They they know who's in those boxes. Um, they know if somebody's va- you know they can ask and, and but going to the bathroom, going in the hallway, those things would be required to wear a mask. Um, 
walking through the Great West Hall, you know, it's a if you're just walking through and going to your seat, I don't think the mask police are going <laughs> to uh, to be out in force. But again, it's going to be some comfort level of what uh, people feel like if they're going to be in a large group. Would they? And if you're standing in line at concession stand, that would be probably a, a spot where you we, should we wear need to a get mask. you back here in three weeks and see what the rules yeah, are then, because yeah. they might change tomorrow. Yeah, you know, in our press box, I mean, if the folks who are inside sitting in the press box will be wearing masks. I mean, I, that's that's kind of the that'll if we're inside and we're in a close area, they will be wearing masks uh, up in our area. Um, in some of those suites if you're vaccinated and then you won't right so i mean uh and again it's going to be up to the, each of the suite holders uh decision on some of those types of things but walking and and being in in groups those are those are areas that mass will be required so there'll be a lot of activity out of grange grove with bands yeah, and, uh, yeah we're, we're planning on having the same uh pre-game setup as we had prior uh previously uh Children's games, bands, mm -hmm. um, the uh, autograph, food trucks. Autograph signing by former players. I think so. Yeah. yeah, that's the plan. You know, being outside makes things a little uh, easier to mm -hmm. accomplish on that. And so, um, you know, we'll see where we're at in three weeks, but that's where our plans are at right now. Are you hearing anything as, as to the turnout from Nebraska? We know it'll be good, but we don't. Well, you know, it's interesting. We talk about this all the time. And, you know, the old uh, it, Nebraska – uh, ticket numbers are not travel numbers aren't what they used to be they're just not and um, that's what happens when you don't win all your games <laughs> for instance I mean uh, Jason told us this week right now it appears tickets bought through from Nebraska are under a thousand tickets is that right yeah so it's not going to be right now that's mm -hmm. where that you know if we had a game today it'd probably be in the 30s you know there's a lot of tickets available um, you know a lot of those season ticket holders who push their tickets forward have uh, you know follow you know are, are getting their tickets um you know we're we're you know there's a lot of marketing going out there there's a lot of opportunity but you what know about students i mean uh, is there this this is the time you know there's there was this is this is really when students start coming back there'll be a big push on that but you know that's that's been a uh, a few thousand tickets not tens of thousands of tickets normally unless it's a rose bowl year so the north thing. end zone, you're you're not clear on just. You, you I don't know, no, don't know yet. I think yeah. we're we're a little ways away from that. But you know, students uh, see classes start the Monday of the first game. Okay. The twenty third, I think that's what that day is, and um, and so they'll they'll move in right the previous the pr week prior to that. And so as kids have come through this summer, you know, parents have bought tickets and so. But that there's usually a big jump when they come back to campus. Lord and I have talked about this uh, several times, but that's a, it's really a, a huge football game for both these schools. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not, not only is it week zero, you've got basically the the entire country as a stage, but uh, both these teams need to win in a bad way yeah. for different reasons. It'd be a great start for yeah. both teams, and, and uh, certainly Nebraska coming off a season they didn't like. Uh, we have a coaching change here, so obviously it wasn't a season it was liked here either. And can get you really off to a great start. Uh, looking at the schedule, it's a home game, and and Coach Bielma has been expressed very clearly that you know the teams that um, have won the West Division and have had success win their home games, and and this is one that um, Illinois played very well at Nebraska last year and, and whomped them pretty. You know, we got them pretty good last year out there. Um, you know, you you hope that there's some confidence going into that, but um, you know, there's a lot of you never know. And so I know Nebraska's looking at this as a as a as a 
probably a game they can win. So it'll, it should be a big game, and and uh, there will be some interest in this game from around the country because there's not any other Power 5 right. game. It's a Big 10 game. such an oddity to have a whole bunch of seniors back that have played one system under Levy for four years. Now here they're the fifth year, and we got all that experience, and yet it's in a completely different offense, a completely different defense, so they're learning just like a, a rookie would almost. Luckily we had a spring, Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and – um, um, you know, yeah. this is a real experienced coaching staff. That's but you know, when you talk about that spring, and and you and and it's key for the offense, I think, because you had most most of the offensive players except Palshevsky. But defensive, you got three linebackers, maybe your best three linebackers at least return, none of whom played in the spring. Right, I agree. I agree with you. And, Hanson and, and Barnes and and Tolson, and all three. They're having to take a lot, you know, and, and uh, learn a lot, and. Um, you know, it's just this is where having a really experienced coaching staff really helps. I, I think this is a is, it may be the most ex, it's one of the best coaching staffs I've I've been around. <laughs> I mean, I just that and they haven't coached a game, right? And so, but from watching them and 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 being around them, you're like, there's it's an impressive group. So we'll see. We'll hopefully that they'll all be ready. Uh, text question: Any word on whether last year's Illinois Hall of Fame class? Will be honored this year sometime during football season. Yeah, so uh, we've the Hall of Fame weekend is the weekend of the Maryland game okay. in mid-September, and so that's a Friday night football game. So we've got uh, there's still a few people we're not sure gonna who who can be here and who can't uh, because of travel and with COVID still. There's some people who aren't you know uh, comfortable in traveling, uh, but they'll be recognized at the at the football game on that uh, Friday night, and then we'll have our induction ceremony on saturday uh the next afternoon um at that point so and when is the uh, turner 2001 that's nebraska the first, that's yes. nebraska game. that so is the same okay no it's not the same game oh okay our nebraska game is is the reunion of the 2001 okay Big Ten championship team okay uh maryland which is i think the what the 17th or 18th mm-hmm. of september i have yeah. to look it up exactly. okay i'm going i'm on one game at a time uh, <laughs> Uh, so it's a uh, it'll be that that Maryland weekend, which again I think is mid September, and I'll have to yeah Friday night game there with uh, yeah it's the seventeenth is the game, eighteenth would be the induction. So is that, that our be. only Friday night game? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, that'll also be the um, varsity. They'll honor recognize uh, uh, their honorees that that weekend as well. So we have a, a couple different things going on. We're talking to Ken Brown. If you'd like to join us, 217-356-9397. We'll take a quick break and be back with more in just a moment on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Stay with us. Nine seventeen is the time. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lawrence Tate, Steve Kelly. Ken Brown is with us for a few more minutes if you'd like to uh, join us. Still coming up on the show, Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News, Rivals.com, will be here at 9.30, 9.45. Matt Tate, no relation, from Lawrence, Kansas, KUSports.com, and the Lawrence Journal World newspaper. He didn't even spell his name right. Steve. Well, he might say the same about you. <laughs> T-A-I-T is how he spells it. Don Harden, former Illinois volleyball coach, will join us in the studio at 10 o'clock and then at 10.30. Tom Ackerman from KMOX 
in St. Louis. So we've got a lineup of guests with uh, Kent Brown being in the leadoff position. <laughs> hey, Kent, tell us about the, the, par- the, first of all, parking with all the new buildings going up. And then secondly, the, the, the roads seem to be a little bit clogged <laughs> these days. Well, St. Mary's Road's not going to be open for a year. Is it, it won't be open. Um, you know, I, I think I'll probably find out more Monday. We have a meeting on Monday. It's our first event management meeting, and usually that's a time to go over all the things on game day, what's going to happen. So I'll probably know more this week of kind of where the, all those projects are at. Um, but, yeah, I know it's, it's a little hard to get around uh, smoothly right now. Uh, First Street's got some construction going on, obviously St. Mary's Road. Uh, university seems to have a lot of stuff going on. Um, so there's been a lot of uh, uh, Windsor has stuff going on. <laughs> so a lot of, which is great for the, the construction companies and the economy to keep all that stuff going. But we need to, hopefully they'll, they'll start wrapping some of those jobs up here soon. Just another headache for somebody, right? <laughs> Luckily, you know, there's, this is where no one feels sorry for us to have to be there uh, hours in advance. Right. And we miss all the traffic. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, all that's right, one now, benefit. Kent, you worked in the Big 12. You were at Kansas State. What do you think about the possibility of anyone from the Big 12 <laughs> joining the Big 10? Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, shoot, I didn't think Nebraska was uh, would ever come to the Big 10. So that, that, that kind of blew me away years ago when that decision was made. It'll be interesting to watch, won't it? I mean, it's a lot of speculation right now um, about what's possible. Um, I was reading the other day, you know, that the value of a, a football edition – versus basketball. Basketball is valued at about one-fifth, about 20% of what a football uh, brings to the to the negotiating table for ESPN. And that, and that came from the former uh, ESPN uh, head. That would not be the percentage if you took Kansas because their basketball would bring uh, more and their football would bring less. Well, you say that, you know, from a perception I mean, guess- standpoint, but from a, from a value standpoint of – television contracts that's still that those numbers are probably still the same really yeah i think so and so it makes it really difficult right because i mean there are some real strong basketball uh things but you know basketball if basketball was the number one driving force between this all these changes that would have happened years ago would have probably turned out differently so it'll be it'll be interesting to watch how this but there's just so it's all speculation what's the necessity of the big 10 expanding to 16 just simply because the sec did i don't think there is unless it unless it brings value to the conference i mean and 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 now you know that uh television contracts are coming up for the big 10 uh here in the next uh two years right so um it's a it's a critical time and so unless somebody's bringing value um and I'm not listen. This is, I'm not part of any of those discussions, right? So this is all speculation. <laughs> We're all talking speculation. But the reality is, if it doesn't bring value, it makes it really difficult to probably add schools because they're taking pieces of that pie away. So you have to look at the long term value of it. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, your job is sports information, uh, basically, with some other duties as well. But let's talk a little bit about IO and Kofi the directions that they've gone and what that means to the program. You know, I.O., that scenario probably we'll have to wait and see, but may not have worked out any better. I mean, the, sure, he was disappointed not to be a first-round pick, but to be picked by the Bulls in your hometown. And Holy cow, yeah. Well, how about, you know, his family couldn't be any more excited. Right. He couldn't be any more excited about it. And, um, you know, other things, that, as I listened and, and read things, you know, a lot of people who said, you know, that listen, as long as you're in that top 40, um, those a lot of those – 
second round, early second round contracts are are very much the same as the first round picks. Now, Bulls didn't have a first round pick, but they did pick up some trades, right? Mm-hmm. So they're 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 making a run for it. Um, but it's exciting for Io to to be in that position. And um, you know, once you get a chance, now it's up to you to to go in and play and and be the and, and be the player you think you can to to be a. Comp- Steve, uh, you said his um, his uh, summer game is starts Monday. Monday at two o'clock our time, I think. ESPN okay. two. Okay. The Bulls' uh, summer league game is. Yeah, and then obviously Kofi, you know, uh, got a little bit different news than maybe he wanted to hear, and so he took the opportunity to come back and and give himself. I watched the workout. I mean, he makes a difference now. Trust me, right? Anybody who's that big and and moves that well and uh, he is he looks great. And uh, he t- he changes he changes a lot of things on that roster. What did the three freshmen think of him when they first saw him? <laughs> I first don't know. <laughs> man, uh, you know it's interesting that I, the day I saw him it was it's been a week. So the first day I saw him work out was their first practice all together, and the and the freshmen all looked like they were drinking from a fire hose. It was a little <laughs> bit overwhelming, I think, because there's some talent, right? And there's some older talent who's experienced and, and deep. And I think the freshmen all have a chance. Are very talented players. Uh, but it is—it's a different uh, level when you have experienced, high-level players who are really good, and we have—we have that on several different positions. So they'll—they'll they'll have a chance. It's just going to take some time. You right. see Payne going against Kofi? Um, was it? Was it? Was, yeah. Said, no, they were. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think. I don't know. You know, the drills and stuff I saw. It wasn't like a scrimmage or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we drill. Payne's very athletic, you know. He's he's he moves really well. He he he's going to help now. He's he's a good player. Here's another football text question: um, Will the players be doing and coaches doing the Illini walk? So yeah, Illini walk will be a little different uh, this year, and so it'll be the buses will let off right at the uh, entrance to Grange Grove versus walking down first street mm-hmm. um they'll they'll be eat, the, eat their pregame meal in the smith center versus and then so you need to be in grange grove to, to be for them yeah, to walk and there, by most it. people were there anyway uh, yeah if you know if you watch that before there was just a smattering of people on first street as they mm-hmm. came down that but uh the grange grove will be where they'll get off there on the street and so that means all the food vendors will be inside grange grove uh there won't be any food trucks on the street anymore so the buses will come down let them off and they'll walk through grange grove the band will greet them there at the by the Grange uh, statue and and then walk on through in the stadium. It's 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 a cool tradition. I, I you know I, I go up on the colonnades and watch that as often as I can. It's just really I, I find it really kind of an interesting spot to watch it and have the fan reaction and player reaction to, to see them do that. It's it's a it's it's a very good collegiate spot to watch that. Another few minutes with Kent Brown. Feel free to jump in two one seven three five six nine three nine seven. So how has uh, the name, image, and likeness matter changed your life <laughs> over the last you know, six weeks? It probably hasn't changed our uh, responsibilities. Um, you know, social media is still a big part of what uh, my staff is done. And then we have a social media group as well um, that, that's doing that, that helps with that. Um, you know, football with Pat Pearson's edition has been is, – is kind of on the cutting edge of helping our players – um, kind of navigate through this and prepare themselves and get themselves in a spot. I don't know that our football, a lot of our football players have not, there's several who have done something, nothing really big at this point. I think they're all kind of working through that. 
we've got some basketball guys who have done some stuff, a soccer player who's so there's some other sports and our gymnasts has, has you know, there are some things that are that are going on. Um hey, you know, we are now just a, what, a month into this basically and so it's interesting to watch uh watch it play out and um I'm happy for the athletes. You know, coaches are concerned about what it means in the locker room, but uh Man, you know, the, the NBA, uh, I don't know if you look at the NBA salaries and there are guys making $40 million and then there's guys at the other end of the bench that are making $400,000 and um, they all tend to, you know, figure out how to make it work. Right. And so, um, so you know, it's, it's going to be – it's just one of those things that we're still, I think, trying to figure out and watch it and, and be a part of it. And I know they're very busy with it, trying to navigate it. Well, I think that uh, sounds like Fraser, uh, Trent Fraser – has gotten off to a good start. I think he's involved in about nine projects. Yeah. Is that mostly yeah, yeah. T-shirts and, and that sort of thing? T-shirts, doing autograph signing, I saw. And, and good for them. I mean, you know, I will tell you, you know, we've all been in athletics, around athletes for a long, long time, right? I never felt it was fair that athletes were treated differently than the band student. I, I thought that 30 years ago. I said, why can't a band student go uh, play in a band and get paid to play uh, on a Friday night or something or, or in a band and, and get paid and a basketball player can't even have a camp or a soccer player can't give lessons or a tennis player can't give that makes no sense to me that's their skill and uh, I get the whole recruiting there's there's things that go into that but it ne- there was, had to be a way to work it out it's just taken a long time to figure out and, and a court case right to kind of make it happen uh, so here we are it's it's a new world that we're all we're all have to you have to grasp and, and be a part of it the other sports, soccer getting ready to start, and then volleyball, women's basketball, men's basketball down the line, they're all back to normal as far as fans go, right? Right now it's all back to normal as fans. You know, uh, volleyball, the indoor sport, will be mm-hmm. a mast, right? That, that's a mast uh, arena. Um, you know, I will tell you this, uh, the biggest thing that we can do to help get through all this is vaccinations, right? Get the shot, and if you're not. Right now I think our numbers, uh, the, the DIA staff is somewhere around – 95 percent vaccinated um there's a the campus is requiring faculty staff to to get it so there's a few that have to still do Uh, our athletes are somewhere over 90 north of 90 percent right now so there's a few that are still getting their as they come back they'll be getting their shots and and getting their stuff done um well when you say athletes you're not you mean beyond football yeah football is 100 percent isn't it well, I think they're going to be 100% by the first game. There was a few okay. that were still getting their second shot and those okay. type of things. Um, but there are several of our sports that are 100%. Um, but it, we are over north of 90 total. So that's a, that's a, that's a good starting point. You know, we're three weeks away. Yes. Classes will start. So they, gotta, they kind of got to get all that stuff going here quickly. That's Ken Brown, everybody. We got through 30 minutes, and all we did was give the Cubs and Cardinals score. We, there's no need to go into much there's more no, detail there just isn't right now. I can I can tell you about two guys on the lineup at this point, you know. And so here we are. Unbelievable that the Cub lineup. You just don't know who they are. And then Hayward just went on the injured list. Yeah, I saw. yeah. Well, hey, it's almost football season, right? <laughs> it's uh, it'll Wait be next year. It'll be a, yeah, or two years. With, you know, I don't think I don't think it's going to take quite as long for the Cubs to rebuild. I do agree that it's in baseball is not a total. The last time the Cubs rebuilt, it was a total tear down and, and rebuild. This is, we're not in that era anymore, and they do have 
some some cap space or some running. By the running way, I just space. saw Baez had a home run to win a game, and the next game he struck out five straight times. Yeah, you know what? I, <laughs> is, I, that I, the, is that the same guy? Isn't yeah, it? and that's okay. I mean, I, I I wish nothing but the best for for all those guys. I really it was great, but you know, at some point you have to do have to make a change if if it's not working. Yeah. Well, they can buy them back, too. All those guys are free agents after this year. Yeah, yeah. Who was your favorite player? Oh, I don't know. I'd... Rizzo. <laughs> Rizzo, you know, was a great – I mean, what a great uh, leader on your team and, and was fun to, to, to watch him be a part of a team that was really losing and then be a part of that right. winning. Uh, you know, Bryant was so much fun to watch for a couple of years. He's been hurt a little bit, and he's probably not quite played. Baez was incredible plays. Um you know, from all you know, you, you never knew what you were going to get. He was an amazing athlete. Um, I just, you know, I, I just want the Cubs to win. I'm a Cubs fan, so if it means tear down and restart, let's what we're going to have to do. Hey, Ken, thanks. Always good stuff. All right, guys, have a great day. Yep, that's Ken Brown, everybody, associate athletic director at the University of Illinois. Nine thirty, WDWS Champaign Urbana. We'll take a break and be back with more after this. It is 9.32 on the Illini Public Saturday Sports Talk, 76 degrees, partly cloudy, partly sunny in central Illinois. Another good weekend heading into some uh, hot and humid weather, some preseason football weather, I guess, uh, coming up uh, next week here in uh, the area. Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News, Rivals.com is in the studio with us. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me in. You bet. You uh, survived like uh, everybody the first week of uh, football practice. How are you feeling about this team? Yeah, I think it's a wait and see kind of thing. And um, as you know, we don't we only get to see the first 15 minutes of practice or, or 15 minutes of practice. So uh, it's hard to tell as far as schemes uh, go and all that kind of stuff. But you know, anytime there's a new coach, a new coaching hire, I think there's some excitement around the team. Uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, the buzz when the students return back to campus here, but uh, it's a wait and see kind of thing. I don't, we don't know, really know what to expect. Expect that first game on uh, August 28th against Nebraska. That's what exactly what uh, Brett Bielma wants. <laughs> does, it is. He you know, doesn't want very, anybody to know right now. They're very secretive about everything. You, you know, even when we ask them questions about the scheme and all that kind of stuff, they're they're not uh, giving away too much. With all that said. Uh, going in and knowing what you know about the players that are back and uh, maybe some of the guys coming in, what's your biggest? What's what's the one thing you want to see? What's your biggest question mark maybe about this team? I think it's it's been the same question mark for several years running now. And that's can they stop anybody? Right. Uh, defense hasn't been very good. You know they expected under Lovey Smith, who who grew up in the game as a defensive uh, coach, that that he'd put together a, a good defense, but never really kind of materialized and. Uh, the offense should be fine. They they returned a bunch of guys. You know, along the offensive line, it's a veteran group. Could have five senior starters. Brandon Peters is back. Good running backs. Uh, but the defense wise, I think um, uh, the new coordinator Ryan Walters and and uh, Brett Bielema have the work cut out for them. Well, I'm going to ask you about your top 30 that you have in rivals because I kind of agree with your top 10. Although I think uh, putting uh, Isaiah Williams number three is a kind of on the come thing. But you had Chase Brown, number one, and everybody's talking like he, he as a running back, he's going to be a good one. Hanson, linebacker, two. Three, Isaiah Williams. Four, Perry, a defensive tackle. Uh, five, Peters, quarterback. Six, Carney, defensive end. Barker, tight end, seven. Kramer, the center, at eight. Adams, a corner, at uh, nine. And Ford, at ten. Now, I, 
I said I agree with you pretty much on the top ten, but boy, when it gets below that, uh, nobody knows, do they? I mean, it's it's just anybody's guess. It is, you know, especially since we don't get to see a lot of practice. You know, training camp, we used to be able to watch the whole whole practice for all of training camp. It was mm-hmm. grueling out there every day, but we, we got out there in heat and watched all the practices. So, you know, it's hard to tell, especially with new schemes, you know, completely different schemes on both sides of the football. It's really a major undertaking to change to a 3-4 defense, to change to a power running game on the other side of the ball. So, yeah, it's hard to know what to expect. And uh, you mentioned Isaiah Williams at three. That is kind of a projection. You know, sure. uh, we've only seen him play quarterback. That's what they're players, talking so. out there. They're they're saying he he really looks good, but uh, yeah. we have to be skeptical because he's never caught a ball in a, in a game yet. That's he's right. thrown a few, but he's never caught one. That's right. But I think it's in- interesting that the coaching staff is not stamping down any of any of the uh, uh, hype or expectations mm-hmm. surrounding him. Usually, a coach will say, "Well, let's wait and see." He's changing positions, but. Uh, they talk. They really talk him up, and he, he is a dynamic player with the ball in his hands. We saw that against Rutgers last year when he ran for 192 yards. So I think they definitely want to put the ball in his hands. Well, I, from that from that 10, who do you I, – I, 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 I kind of studied this thing, and there are 10 junior college transfer not junior – there's 10 transfers out of the 30, out of your, out of your top 30 – and I find that to be uh, very interesting because this team is kind of, while it's relying on the seniors, it's also relying on all those transfers. Chase Brown, Perry, Peters, Ford, Hart, uh, the other, uh, let's see, the other, uh, Chase Hayden, uh, Hightower, the, one of the top receivers, Gerasati, I think, a starting uh, offensive guard. I mean, that's a lot of guys that are, we're counting on that, that didn't start at the University of Illinois. Well, that's right, and um, and there, it's a combination of Lovey Smith guys and and uh, Brett Bielma guys that he brought in. Uh, but Lo- Lovey, I think the high school recruiting kind of uh, tapered off for him, and he had some trouble getting some traction from the high school ranks. So he he leaned really heavy on the transfer portal and fill, to fill some holes. Uh, and uh, those guys are are going to be playing now. So. You mentioned that you know um, he's recruiting Illinois hard right now, but these aren't the top players in the state of Illinois, are they yet? Not yet. I think it's going to take some time to get there. I mean, every, everybody recruits Chicago. You know, and, um, even you know, even the Southern schools now. The SEC is coming into Chicago and recruiting Chicago. So. Do you, uh, in your work, and do your people talk a lot to high school coaches? And if so, what what's their reaction so far of this coaching staff at the U of I? Yeah, at the risk of sounding like a like a fan, uh, the reaction from the high school coaches have been has been great. I mean, um, we have a guy in our network, Edgy Tim, Tim O'Halloran, mm-hmm. who, who runs the high school site for us, and, and I talk to him every day, and the feedback from these coaches are that uh, Bielma, you know, he's sincere about wanting to recruit this state and bring in the top kids from the state, uh, and they've shown that with the commitments that they have uh, from in-state kids. Uh, he's very personable working with these high school coaches and enthusiastic with them. So nothing but good stuff uh, from the high school coaches in the state. By the way, I, I, I'm interested. Uh, one of the freshmen that's in is the son of, of Kreutz uh, that played for the Bears, Josh Kreutz. And, and I see he's running number two center. Uh, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but he, it looks like he's going to be a, a, a backup for Kramer. He could be. I mean, uh, Brett Bielema, I asked him about newcomers. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday. 
um, Wednesday or Thursday, and, and he mentioned Kruitz by name. And you don't really get that usually when, from, a, right. from a coach when it comes to freshmen. That he'll throw a name out there. And with with really all these it. seniors, almost no freshmen will play this year. Well, almost no. Isn't that right, Steve? I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't look to me like they can they can afford to play the freshmen, and and um, probably most of those guys are going to redshirt. Probably so. I think there's there's two guys I've seen that I think are going to play, and that's okay. that's uh, uh, Keontae Curry, the corner, mm-hmm. came in looking great. I mean, uh, he's 190 pounds already. He's, you know, he doesn't look like a high school kid. He looks like you know a college junior already. I think he's going to be in the rotation at corner, but just because they're not very deep there. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, Patrick uh, Bryant, the wide receiver, uh, he's an outside guy, a long, a lanky receiver, good possession guy, not a real burner, you know, in the open field, but a, a guy who who does everything right. Well, how are they going to decide which receivers to play? <laughs> they got so many. It's, it's, it looks to me like it's, it's, a, it's a jumble. It is, and I don't think anybody really jumps out at you as, no, as the big like playmaker. And Minor Bebe was the star last year, and he's gone. That's right. But, along, you know, that you mentioned that group, though, I think Bielema recognized when he was hired right away that that position group was a problem, and, and he went out and, and kind of flipped the script on it and brought some guys in. You know, he made the change with Isaiah Williams. He brought – uh, uh, another former top recruit, Marquez Beeson, comes over from, By the de- way, from defense. Mentioned Beeson. So. He's not. He's, something's wrong there. I'm not sure what it is. He hasn't been out there, has he? I haven't seen him. No. I mean, I mean, he's on the team, but I. We also haven't seen Epstein, have we? Have not seen Mike Epstein yet. No. Yeah. Well, I think that those are the guys that two of the guys he mentioned several guys that are being withheld here early. And I think I think Beeson is definitely one of them. With Epstein being in the uh, running back rotation, we think um, that's been uh, a cornerstone of Brett Bielma's offense in the past. He's had some great running backs. How do you feel about that position here going in? Well, Corey Patterson, you know, he's got to feel pretty good coming over from the tight end position to running back. He jumped in, he, you know, he was retained by Bielema and jumped into a really good situation. They're they're three deep, I think, with running backs who could be their go-to guy. If there's any injuries, it's like it, the next man up, you know, they've got the starters going to be Chase Brown, uh, Reggie Love, who was a big-time recruit out of St. Louis, the same school as Isaiah Williams, and then uh, the transfer Chase Hayden. Now, those three guys, I think, are all quality backs who could be a workhorse back for you. So it, 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 it's probably the strongest position group, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Can those guys carry it 20 times? I don't know if they're going to ask him to. They'll probably right. spread the carries out sure. a little bit. Uh, I, of those of that group, I think uh, Reggie Love's probably a guy who could take the biggest beating. He's a real stout guy, between the tackles guy, um, more of a power back than a speed back. But uh, I, don't, I don't think you'll see any one back right. with, with 25, 30 carries like that. Talking Illinois football with Doug Bouchon from Rivals.com. Have you talked to your Rivals counterparts in uh, Nebraska at all yet? And uh, how are they looking at this game if you have? We, we jumped into it a little bit with them, yeah. Um, they, Nebraska's going to have a really good defense. They, they were number six in the Big Ten last year. They bring back eight or nine starters on that side of the ball. So that's really an interesting matchup. And uh, defense is not what you think of when you think of Scott Frost. You think of throwing the ball around and putting up points. But uh, the Illinois offense against Nebraska defense is going to be pretty interesting to watch. The thing that scares me about Nebraska is, is, is Martinez. You know, when Illinois played them last year, they had just benched Martinez for reasons I'm not clear on. But uh, he came back and played a little. He played pretty well after that. And now this is what his fifth year, 
and or at least his fourth year. I don't know how many years he's been. It seemed like forever. And he's always had good luck against Illinois. He has had in the past very good luck against Illinois. Yes. I mean, he's been a, an Illinois killer, right? Because his career has been up and down. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, he got benched. Uh, he, he's been good at times, not as good at other times. But it, uh, he gets up for Illinois for some reason, always has a good game against them. That was the uh, probably the best news in for the coaching staff last year when they learned he wasn't going to start that game. Well, the question was, why did they keep playing the other guy? Right, exactly. <laughs> Doug Bouchon with us for a couple of more minutes. Um, Illinois and the team and some of the individual players not getting a lot of love, although some of the individual players are on some of the preseason watch lists. But uh, as far as uh, recognition from national media, as far as how good Illinois will be in the Big Ten and beyond, has not been very good, I suppose, that's the chip on the shoulder the coaches will play off of. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, the preseason prognosticators, they don't do a real deep dive. Right, deep right. dive. Uh, they base it on last year and returning players. And that, a coaching change. And exactly. But uh, our network, uh, Mike Farrell, who's our um, senior writer for Rivals, came out with his Big Ten predictions uh, either yesterday or today, and he's got Illinois last in the Big Ten West. And that, that's pretty much the consensus. You know, three and, a 3-9, and 4-8 kind of season. I saw the CBS uh, rankings of the top 130 in the country and had Illinois 81st. 81st out of 130. Just ahead of Rutgers at 80. So that would put them last in the Big Ten. The only team they had ranked below Illinois that Illinois plays is Charlotte. So take that for what it is. But like you said, they don't do a deep dive necessarily. And maybe they don't even realize they've got a lot of experienced guys back question is how good are those guys and we're about to find out yeah i mean that's what everybody says they bring back the most super seniors that they're calling right. than any team in the country but it's also the same seniors right. who who haven't won a lot of games here at illinois well that team last year kind of crumpled under a levy toward the end i mean there's no question the, the penn state game was they there just was no spark there um, I think this guy, this Bielma, has put a spark into the into this into these players. I don't think all these guys would be coming back if they didn't feel like there was something left to, to do. I mean, uh, that they could accomplish. This is a uh, it's really remarkable that this many players would come back for another season because many of them are these aren't guys that are going to be for the most part. These aren't guys that are going to play in the NFL. They're just not. There's a lot of guys that have. Given one last shot at football, this is it. No, that's right. And you know, as, as a as a guy who played football a long, long time ago, you, you never want to take the helmet off. You know, it's a big <laughs> part of your life. And if you got a yeah. chance to go back out there and do it sure. again, uh, you're going to take that chance. But everybody's not doing that across the country. I mean, you know, Illinois got more than anybody. That's true. Yeah, sure is. I, I, I ask this of everybody, and I, I got to ask you: What do you think about this whole whole business of uh, conference uh, realignment? Do you see the Big Ten doing anything at this point? Well, didn't we, we talked about this offline yesterday? I think mm-hmm. it was, or a couple of days ago. And uh, there is some chatter about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten partnering as far as uh, scheduling goes. Cooperative I don't think, scheduling. That's right. I, I don't yeah. think you're going to see a merger, uh, but you you could see some scheduling. And, and just off the top of my head, that that pops up some real questions on the future schedules because they're planning everything so far out these days. You know, so you're looking at 2025, 26 before they could start playing some Pac-12 teams. Yes, but what if they went back to eight conference games? Then they'd have a, a spot to do that. And there's an off, there's a lot, of, there's a little rumblings that I keep hearing about some kind of a realignment of the divisions in the Big Ten. 
which scares me because I think Illinois is in the best possible situation they could be in right now in the West. What do you do? You see any realignment within the divisions? I don't know. That's a new one on me. Uh, but you're right about Illinois being in a good uh, position. They could be in the position of Indiana, where you where you got to face Ohio State, Mi- Michigan, Penn State, and all those guys. Uh, I'd like to see them stay in the Big Ten West because when I look at the Big Ten West, it's it's not really intimidating except for maybe Wisconsin. Uh, the the other teams are. You know, some solid programs in there like Iowa and Northwestern, but not ones that really scare you on an annual basis like Ohio State. Hey, Doug, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming by. Anytime. Illinois.rivals.com for Orange and Blue News. You can read what Doug and his staff are covering for Illinois football and basketball and other sports as well. 947, a quick break. We're back with more after this. Welcome back to the show. This is Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk, News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. We got started at 9. We're with you until 11 o'clock this morning. Talk some Illinois football. First week of practice is uh, wrapping up today. The Big Ten Network in town today. Former Illini Howard Griffith and his uh, buddies from Chicago were here to watch uh, Illinois practice, and we'll hear how that went and see that on the Big Ten Network in uh, days ahead. We also talked about uh, Big Ten possible expansion and uh, who knows what's going to happen there. We welcome in our next uh, guest to the program. His name is Matt Tate. No relation to Lauren Tate, I I don't think, because they spell their names differently. But uh, Matt is a reporter out in Lawrence, Kansas with KUSports.com and the uh, Lawrence newspaper out there, the Journal World. Good morning, Matt. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you guys? We're hanging in there. Mr. Tate said he wanted to talk to you about uh, how you spell your last name. Yeah, you need to work well, yeah, on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny story. My my high school principal uh, spelled it the same way that you do. And so, you know, back then it was just Tate and Tate, and that's all you heard. So everyone thought I was the principal's son, so people pretty much left me alone and didn't want to mess with me. So I, I never really uh, – told them otherwise and and i kind of milked that for all it was worth and and uh like you he gave me a hard time for how i spelled it as well but i'm of the belief that that there probably is going way back some sort of relation between the te's (laughs) and the aits because it's just not that common of a name and somewhere maybe somebody just kind of kind of spelled it wrong on a on a form somewhere and and then all of a sudden it was split but i I think there's a chance we're all related (laughs) i think so if we go back far enough (laughs) How long have you been uh, covering Kansas? Oh, going on almost twenty years now, including uh, a, a few before that when I, I, I went to I went to school there as well and, and worked for the school paper way back when. Now, so uh, been a while. How's Bill Self doing? Is he uh, feeling better after uh, his COVID uh, uh, yeah. diagnosis? Yeah, that was crazy. It was uh, it, it was you know they spent so much of last season focusing on you know, doing everything they possibly could to, to get through that season and to stay healthy. And, and they had a great deal of success. Um, you, know, you know, the team handled it well and the team positions and all that. And then here we are, you know, X number of months later and, and he, he comes down with it. So he's doing just fine. I think he's actually on a vacation right now uh, before they all report back for the start of school and uh they 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 get gearing up for the uh the upcoming season because you know as you guys know it's it's year-round these days so um it's been a busy summer and and uh they've they've overhauled their roster pretty well i think it's 
10 new faces. Um, but they have 10 new faces and they're still returning four starters. So it's, uh, the math doesn't work in my brain right there, but that's why I'm a writer, not a mathematician. So it's, uh, it's going to be another good year, though, for, for him and, and, and that program. they got, they got a really nice team. Yeah, I see they're ranked number four in the nation in the pre, one of the preseason polls. But uh, tell us what you think about the possibility of Kansas leaving the Big 12 for Big Ten, uh, Pac-12, anything. Do you see Kansas moving? Well, it's you know it's a it's a million dollar question right now, and and obviously it's it's all anybody's talking about around here. Um, I I think that you know I, there's a couple of ways to look at this thing. I I do believe that KU is is uh, interested in being a, a a good partner to the other eight remaining or seven other remaining Big Twelve teams, not named Oklahoma and Texas, and and they do want to be you know, as loyal and reasonable as possible in terms of let's all stay strong and see what options are out there for us. Um, so, so you know, that's, that's sort of on the one hand. On the other hand, if a conference like the Big Ten called KU tomorrow and said, hey, we'll take you, let's go, I think they would have a really hard time turning that down because, number one, if you can get into that conference or the ACC or even the Pac-12, um, you know, you're, you're bringing a certain amount of stability to your future, uh, not only in terms of knowing where you're going to be, but also in terms of that, that television revenue payout every year. And, and in the Big 12, it's been good. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been pretty much $35 million for the last couple of years. I think it dipped to 25 this year because of obvious reasons. But um, prior to that, the, the two years before, we're, we're right around $35 million and and that you know, put them in there right in the middle of the pack among the Power Five conferences. So, you know, if if uh, if you can find a way to stay at that number or even increase that number, that's, of course, going to be the, the best thing you can do for the future of your program and your athletic department and all that stuff. So I, I think they would have to take a long, hard look at it because if they don't, whatever happens in the Big 12 or, or some new revamped form of the Big 12 or if they were to have to – you know, fall out of the Power Five and go to AAC or Mountain West or something like that. Uh, that revenue number is just astounding. I mean, it, you're talking, you know, down near 10, 12 million instead of 35 um, or or more. So it's unfortunate that it has to end up being about money because, you know, I'm old enough to to go back to the Big Eight days and and really appreciate the. Uh, uh, regional alignment and the geography and, and just the tradition of all those programs and teams staying together as as friendly and close-knit rivals but you know that's not the world we live in anymore so um, as far as I know there's nothing imminent there's nothing brewing there's nothing happening just yet but I think all all ears all eyes are open around here and and like I said if, if they got an offer that was too good to refuse I, I think they'd have to take it well, there would have to be a partner, I would think. You'd want to keep it on even numbers. Who would you see as a possible partner? Well, there's been a lot of talk about Iowa State, just for obvious reasons. That's you know, if if we're talking about the Big Ten, um, you know, that's that's geographically that makes sense. Iowa's already up there. Um, the Iowa State's a, 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 an emerging football power right now. I mean, they've they've had a great couple of seasons, and their head coaches is as well-respected and, and talented as anybody out there right now. So, um, you know, they're, they're, the timing for them worked out really well. I mean, to, to, to kind of finally get their football program running and, and, and humming 
um, it, it couldn't have been at a better time for them. So, you know, they're also an AAU institution just as Kansas is, and I know that's been important to the Big Ten over the years um, from the academic side of things. So that would make a lot of sense. You know, way back when, the first the first round of realignment a decade or so ago, um, there was a lot of talk then about Kansas and Missouri being a good pair uh, to potentially maybe head to the Big Ten, and, and obviously that didn't happen. Um, and Missouri's in the SEC, where now that they've added Oklahoma and Texas, they're talking about their payout eventually becoming maybe $67, $70 million annually. So it'll be hard for Missouri to even think about leaving that kind of money, but you never know. I mean, that's the crazy thing about this realignment stuff. You just never know. I mean, um, it, it's been proven both in the first round and, and, and here now that even if you're a, a solid um, program or department in, in a solid conference, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't change uh, addresses. So, I, I you know, I, I think the Iowa State and Kansas thing makes a lot of sense geographically and also because, you know, both have something to offer. But it just is going to come down to is, is it worth it? And, and you know, I think on on uh, on the surface and sort of at face value, it, it's hard to look at the, the Big Ten or the Pac-12 uh, or even the ACC taking on teams and saying, well, these teams bring us this much value and now we have to split it up X number more ways. I, I mean, it just it just doesn't seem like it always adds up there. But if we are truly heading toward a, uh, you know, a super conference sort of alignment and, and these, these other Power Five type conferences feel like they need to be the one that expands and, and grow to 16 or, or even beyond that perhaps, um, you know, then, then that changes the, the, the game a little bit. It's not necessarily just about value added. It becomes about value added, but also the idea of just saying, hey, we're, we're in. We're, we're a part of this, and so we'll go add the four or six or however many best teams that we can possibly get because we want to expand because that's the future. So if, if it comes to that, that opens up the door um, for a lot more than just Kansas, obviously. And, and you know, you guys, I'm sure, have heard all the names and, and, and all the different programs out there. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them. I mean, Central Florida is one that keeps being rumored as, as – a good fit in any conference, regardless of geography. Uh, BYU is another. Houston is an emerging, you know, potential power down there with a great market. So there's a lot of options and, and a lot of different ways that all these conferences can go. I do think it'll be interesting to see what the Big 12 or the leftover eight tries to do. I, I think <laughs> leftover eight, I like that. The box. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've been I've been criticized for calling it that, and I don't I don't know what else to. I did, I did read last night, I think, somewhere, somebody called it the core eight. And while that sounds a heck of a lot better than leftover eight, I don't know if they are the core eight. You know, I mean, you're losing Oklahoma and Texas. That's that's a big part of your core. So, um, yeah, it's about 50% so of your income, over. probably. Exactly. Yeah, That that not to mention that, right? So um, I, I am eager to see what they do, though. I, I You know, and it may play out over a number of years. It, it may not be anything anytime soon, but – but I know the commissioner Bob Bowlesby has talked about that, that he believes they will have options, and and I'm of the belief that if they do have options, these options have to be fancy, fresh, brand new ideas. He has to think; they have to think outside of the box. They have to get really creative because, as you guys know, there is just no way to to envision those eight schools 
finding two more or four more that will equal the amount of revenue and the branding and all that that Oklahoma and Texas already bring to the conference. It's just not going to be apples to apples there. So, um, yeah, you can add four teams or you could add six teams if you wanted to get creative, but but you've got to do it in, in ways that make financial sense. And, and so maybe that means you you become the first conference to go all in on this streaming stuff and, and, and maybe you get – you know, whatever it is, Apple or Amazon or Netflix or Hulu or whatever, and, and you just try to get them to commit to these this outrageous package for for you know broadcasting all of your events and and who knows? I mean, that's why they, <laughs> that's why they're paid the, the the money they're paid to figure this out. Luckily, I just have to cover it, but I, I do think they have to think outside the box. They have to think um, about groundbreaking ideas. They can't just hope that the status quo or or figuring out a way to kind of exist in the landscape as it exists today, that's just not going to be good enough. Hey, Matt, we appreciate your time. Good information there, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you down the road. That sounds great, guys. Give me a holler anytime. Thanks for having me. You bet. That's Matt Tate out in Lawrence, Kansas, with KUSports.com. We've hit the top of the hour, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. The first hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. Hour number two is coming up. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back, everybody, for hour number two. Thanks to our guest in the first hour, Kent Brown, was here for about 30 minutes talking Illinois football with that uh, home opener or season opener three weeks from today. We also talked some football with uh, Doug Bouchon from Rivals.com. Just wrapped up a conversation with Mark Tate, who uh, covers Kansas for the uh, Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Kicking off hour number two is former Illinois volleyball coach and now U of I professor Don Harden with us in the studio. Don, good to see you. It's so great to see you guys, and thanks for having me on. It's it's just as a person in the community and a fan now listening into your show. It's been really interesting over the last several years, just tuning in to all the interesting topics. I I do want to make one correction: the status of professor is very sacred at the University of Illinois. Full professorships are hard to come by, and I I always correct that. But my department chair a number of years ago said. Don, you profess, so you're a professor. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. It's just a technicality. <laughs> well, Lauren had been trying to, I've been trying to retire for a while, and he won't let me, so that's, that's where I'm at. And, and, uh, I thought it was the other way around. Well, oh, I don't no. know. <laughs> you guys make a great team. It's well, fun thanks. to be here with you. And I always worry about, uh, initially, when I get asked and Lauren calls me, I, well, what are we going to talk about? And then within five minutes of talking to Lauren, I'm, I'm, Number one, we don't have to worry about what to talk about. He's always got a billion topics. Number two, he takes me down scary roads sometimes. <laughs> well, you brought up something just earlier here that I don't think many people have thought about. And, and the number of – you're just one of many, I'd say, a half dozen or more coaches who coach here and live here. That doesn't happen everywhere. No, it doesn't. And uh, we were talking about that off air, and I wasn't sure if it's a good topic on air, but I, I think those listeners listening in now – 
uh, in the community um, would appreciate the fact that a lot of us, uh, I was just talking to Paula Smith, former golf co coach, and of course we had uh, uh, Gary Winicky had his memorial service, uh, and we went to see him and his wife, or we went to see his wife Peggy, and um, give our condolences, we, we stay in touch, and there I was talking to Itch Jones and Mark Johnson, who are living in the community. You talk about Lou Henson, very few basketball coaches end up living where they coached, and uh, and we have more uh, in the community, in and around the community. Yoshi. Yoshi, who I've, I've seen off and on, and yeah. is working here, and is, whose daughter is, you know, now doing really well with golf, and I... I Ed Beard, Ed Beard Ed, still spends some time. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and I think there are uh, I think it says a lot, and the reason I wanted to reach out to listeners is it says a lot for this community. My wife used to say, uh, when you're looking to retire, Don, you really need to consider Champaign-Urbana. We need to look at this. You're just touching down. You don't really live here as a coach. You're just touching down, and that's what it feels like. You know, you're, you're in and out so much. I remember counting it one year. We had between five and eight open weekends we could do something together, my wife and I, and that was you know, 12, 13 years ago, it's intensified since then, for sure. Is your wife, Kim, still working? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, Kim just retired from, she? yeah, she was uh, Carl Sports Medicine, right. and she consulted with U of I and Randy Ballard for student athletes, but uh, she was on the sports medicine staff for Carl and saw patients in the, she pioneered and opened a center in the ARC, the Activity Recreation Center on campus. She started that, and built it up into something pretty special. And she's also the therapist for the dance department at U of I uh, and really enjoys that appointment and has kind of tried tried for several years and has really got it ready to go pioneering uh, performing arts medicine for the dancers because as you think about it, it's very similar to sport-related injuries, but they've been underserved in that regard. They don't, they don't have the same protocols. And a lot of that is um, transferring over. So, yeah, that's my spiel on that. Well, we want to talk a little volleyball today. We've got a big match, yeah. big match coming up. Yes, it's incredible. I have been so excited to watch volleyball. I'll tell you, since my retirement, I have never been more excited. I've been up every night. late. Uh, unfortunately, it's been late night matches. But I, I have just hinged on every play. It's been so exciting to watch. As you and I talked about before, we have three former Illinois um, student athletes on that team, on that roster. One's a coach, Aaron Virtue, uh, an assistant coach working with the setters. And one of those, the starting setter, of course, Jordan Poulter is a big Illinois player. Uh, and then Michelle Barchackley, who is on the outside. And Barchackley sometimes gets criticized for her offense in the front row, but she the thing about her that is amazing is you try to find another 6'4", 6'5", player that can pass the ball at that world-class level. Now, I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but up until this point, we have been the best serve-received team, and that's been with three main players. That's been with Barch, our incredible libero, uh, Justine um, uh, Orozco, I'm I don't want to butcher her last name up, but she is amazing, the libero, and she's from Nebraska, and great story, too. She kind of dipped in her performance, but then reinvented herself and was the best player in the, uh, the best libero in the country at the, at the Volleyball Nations League, which is kind of their World Cup for volleyball, just took place in July. So we're talking about a couple months, really about, I don't know how many weeks ago, right? 
Um, all the teams played. M many of them had their top rosters there, including Brazil. And guess what? Brazil and USA faced off in the finals. So these are much of the same players weeks ago. Brazil won the first set 27-25. USA won the second set 25-23. <laughs> USA won the third set 25-23. And USA won the fourth set that in some controversial situations 25-21. This was a hotly, hotly contested this could go either way, and I, I encourage people to stay up. I, I, I have some insights that make it more enjoyable to watch, but you, 11.30 tonight, you should tune in and try to watch it. Will Poulter play? Yeah, she played. Well, she played. Uh, she had something similar. I was talking to Chris Thomas about this because um, of her ankle sprain, and uh, she, she had a serious ankle sprain, and we, didn't, we thought she was out, but she came back, and she did the same thing here uh, at – at Illinois, she had a serious brain, didn't look like she was going to play. And a couple of days later, she said, we're playing Nebraska. Uh, this is my last chance, Adam, and I, I got to do it, you know, and I feel okay. Now, she waved a little bit late in the match when, when they were playing Serbia, which was an amazing match by us, which could have turned at any moment. The top hitter in the world is playing for Serbia. She hits a 400 percentage, which is like a, a baseball batting average if you're a baseball fan. You know, she's hitting 400 on the outside far and away the best statistics of any hitter in the world. And uh, Karch Karai, our, our coach for USA, just wanted to hold her to the low 300s. We held her to 190. Uh, and it was just an unbelievable performance by USA. But towards the end of that match, Lauren, um, Poulter faltered a little bit. Uh, it was, we were in set, we beat him really soundly. It was amazing. Set one and set two, we just handled him. Set three, the setter for um, Serbia said they just kind of lost their confidence, but started to get it back in set three, and you could see it turn, and it got scary. And Poulter faltered with a couple of really bad set violations that showed her nerves a little bit, but I think it might have been even the ankle bothering her. So we'll see. She gets – this is a brutal tournament. It's 12 days – or it's uh, basically two weeks, 14 days, every other day for, for two weeks. Uh, just a tough, tough situation. You know, when I watch volleyball, I, I always have this question in my mind, is the net too low? <laughs> or the players the players weren't this tall uh, 50 no, years ago when no. they were playing at this at that same le – they're playing at the same height net, right? I mean, the net hasn't changed in the last how many years, has it? No, uh, the women's net is a different height than the men's, and the question's coming up for the men's game, is it too low? And I, I think, you know, it's a good – it's a really good comment – from you because when I as a coach when I try to see what the fans enjoy and just step back away from my perspective the long rallies that go on and on and the tension mounts and yeah. then somebody makes a great save and then somebody finally puts it away the crowd erupts like nothing I've ever seen they just go crazy and uh, if you miss those rallies um, and it's just side outside out back and forth and which the men is a lot they just, they're hitting it straight down yeah it's over a rally rarely occurs even on the serving is just brutal this, oh man the, the ball coming in. and that's what I want to say that the average fan that watches sports like myself I'm an average fan watching golf for example the golf swing looks so easy, doesn't it? I mean, the good ones make it just look so effortless. Well, that's kind of how serve-receive is in volleyball. The average fan doesn't really pay attention to 
the passing, that first serve, but the good ones make it look so easy. How do you watch volleyball? Are you a fan or a coach? Can, can uh, you separate it? Uh, my, you know, my wife's gauge is she feels my palms. If my palms are sweating, I mean, <laughs> I'm in coaching mode. <laughs> and it probably took me, it probably took me a year and a half, to, uh, probably two good seasons. The third season, I could come into Huff Gym and watch a Illinois volleyball, like. When I pulled in the parking lot, my palms weren't sweating, you know, and uh, which is something for coaches to, you know, there should be some research and study out there. Ron Gunther used to say something I didn't like. He, he said, um, you know, coaches have a shelf life, and he would say that publicly. And, of course, it's an honest comment, and it's true. Uh, and But I didn't like thinking about myself as a jar of pickles on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> but, but at the same time, if that's true, then an administrator – a head athletic director, those in leadership roles have a responsibility to build a storage unit that will preserve that shelf life. They've and got shelf lives too, you know. They right, do. don't we all? <laughs> they do, but that adrenaline, uh, game after game, where you can't go out and play, but it's coming through your system, and it's there's a health factor uh, in the travel and the sleep and the time away from family. So the kinds of things that could be done to create an environment where you could, for example, when Kevin Hamley is here, we talked about that. You could throw $20,000 more at Kevin's salary, but if you could put twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in and get somebody, a graduate student or somebody to be an operations director that could do a lot of the stuff that he had to do and let him get more family time, that then that 30000 or whatever goes in a different direction and, and improves his shelf life, you know? so. It's not just throwing money at it. Um, but, hey, if you're watching a match tonight, uh, watch number 16 on the other side of the net for Brazil. Phenomenal story. I made one of the, she's the second-best outside hitter in the world right now. Uh, Faye Garay, uh, Fernanda Garay, it's her last. She's, this is her third Olympics. She's already proclaimed that she's, after this she wants to start a family and she's going to take time away. She's leaving the game for a while. She is just a brute force and a leader on that team and wants to go out with a gold. And she is the leader. If we don't slow her down, we're in deep trouble. And at, at 37 years old, she looks like she's in her peak. She, physically, she is just amazing. Let's go to the phones. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Chris in Muhammad. Go ahead. You're on the air, Chris. Hi, guys. I just want to share this down with you. Um, where I'm employed now, I just found out that uh, I had a, um, a former volleyball player that maybe played with you and Kevin Hamley, um, Chris Rosario. Uh, so it's, it's nice to find out that she played volleyball with you guys and just wanted to let you know that uh, I uh, met, met her and uh, where I'm employed at, too. It's pretty a small world out there. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Chris, for the call. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And it's you know, the great thing about volleyball that I always enjoyed and loved is a, 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 it's kind of both sides of the co coin cuts both, both ways. We don't have professional sport for volleyball yet, you know, and our, our women are in club programs that take time, expense, uh, support, and so they're usually from third, fourth generation college students. So I bet Chris is an, is an incredible employee for your organization because we recruited the top women in the in the country 
and they were looking for a meaningful career field. They weren't just looking to come in and get a degree and stay eligible. They wanted. They were looking at the vet school. They were looking at engineering, double majors, aeronautics. I mean, you. Oh my God, they were all over the place, and it's one of the ways in which I've learned and enjoyed to know the campus better because I'd have to find who the guy was or woman was that could sell that program. Uh, and uh, yeah, we have a lot of leaders out there working in wonderful positions uh, in leadership roles. Do you miss coaching? I get that question a lot, Steve, and I there I thought about it before I stepped back when I knew I needed to make a change. We had a real, and this is something I want to say about Gary Winicky passing uh, and Itch. Uh, we had a really rough season uh, where I had uh, we had just beaten number one in the country. It was on a two USC was on a two and a half year win streak, longest in NCAA history, ranked number one, and we beat them here in Huff. We had a lot of players returning, young team, and we were ranked number, I think at the time we were ranked sixth in the country, and moving up, it looked great, and it unraveled like I'd never seen with uh, Aaron Virtue as a setter on that team, the coach I mentioned earlier, and she blew her knee as a senior, um, a middle blocker that I, I won't mention the name. We had a suicide attempt. We had uh we had an eating disorder. We had two other key injuries that sent players out. It all happened at once, like within about a three-week span, as if somebody just said, no, this is not going to happen. And I remember uh, that. I remember saying, "What? Uh, I'm going to get this wagon going down the hill again pretty good, and when it is, I'm going to jump off and give it a push, you know, because I think it got the, that really got the best of me. I knew I wasn't the same coach after that for a while, but I knew what the program needed. And uh, when it came time for contract renewal, I talked to Gunther about a succession plan and that I could be involved. And I, I was really integral in saying, Kevin is the guy. I think we should bring him in here and uh, bring him along. And he didn't even, I mean, he's a brilliant coach and a wonderful guy and, and did a wonderful thing. But I thought about that question. See, what would I miss? And I explored teaching because I'm a competitive guy compared to the average Joe, but when you're up against the top competitors in the universe, they pull the covers off for that reason every day. That's why they're getting out of bed. That's not me. I love the teaching and the aspect of the development of the sport for people and what it does. And um, I do that every day with my, with my position. Uh, I get to work with incredible future leaders as a teacher, as an instructor. I mentor kids. I'm a leadership coach. I work with the Leadership Center. We do a, a lot of wonderful things with uh, young people who have been very successful in staying connected with them and former players. It's kind of the same thing. that I, So I don't miss that aspect of it. You brought up Huff, and, and there's a great atmosphere in there. But I see where the wrestling team is moving into the State Farm Center this year. And I often wonder, should volleyball stay at Hup or should they? I mean, it's the problem with 3,000 people in the assembly hall looks like there's nobody there. Vol you're right. Vol the event is um, volleyball events uh, don't go well where the seating is so far back and away from the court. So if there's some way to accommodate that. Uh, and then also the thing is uh, with our sports, we look at hosting NCAA championships, and if we're doing that at those arenas, you know, what size do you go for? Because the bids are in that six to eight to 10,000 range. 
and the top programs are drawing those numbers six mm-hmm. to ten thousand and uh, and what's what's when you build a facility when you look at facilities do you look 30 years out 20 years out you know what do you do there and how is the landscape changing you know with everything we all know there's tipping points happening well would have changed if we had gone into hockey if we'd taken the hockey team downtown yeah the, the volleyball would have gone with it yeah a lot of those conversations i think are gonna uh heat back up or be dropped you know i think it's interesting let's go back to the phones john is calling from rantoul go ahead john hi steve uh I had a question on this uh, NIL. I don't know what NIL means, but doesn't it uh, doesn't it affect uh, volleyball and other sports like that in a diminished way? Uh, they don't have that much publicity. Uh, that's a great question. On that. No, you're. That's a great question. How this um, how this name and likeness is what it stands for? Name and likeness. Uh, okay. Or, or, okay. Uh, name, image, likeness. Name, image. Yeah. I'm sorry. Name, image, likeness. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And. Right, um, right. It, it is an interesting question because a lot of people assume that's for the high-profile athlete, but high-profile is kind of a perspective and lens that you might look through. I, for example, I was, I was just talking with um, uh, a, a former student who is working with people, other students from Harvard. They've created a team uh, that are consulting. They wanted my input on this platform, IT platform, and coding process that they want to develop to connect coaches with young athletes. But now they're looking at connecting student athletes with the public over this NIL situation. So for example, if you had a daughter that's playing volleyball, wouldn't you want uh, the top player from Illinois maybe calling her on her birthday? maybe even coaching her, send us a video of her setting, uh, maybe even mentoring about uh, schoolwork and uh, being, you know, maybe a tough decision over communication with a coach or playing in a club. And you'd, you'd want your daughter maybe being in touch with somebody as a role model that she would really listen to and look up to. These things are all now up for sale, and there's no platform for that. And these guys are looking to create. Think about this. We have 300 and some Division I programs with 12 volleyball players in each of those programs, maybe six or eight of them being pretty high profile. And they're, even if they're the eighth player in the team and you're out of Bement, you are a star in Bement. And the Bement people want their daughters hearing from you. So it won't just be about uh, signing a jersey that's famous. There will be other ways that this will end up occurring for golfers, for tennis players, for everyone. I've got a kind of a list of uh, somebody put together on all the ways that you can make money as a, through NIL. Autographs, commercials, hosting camps, uh, memorabilia, merchandise, podcasts, private lessons, Small business, social media. Social media is big. I mean, we'll combine that, Lauren, with uh, the lessons. Yeah, and the and a lot of the stuff that goes on that can happen virtually. That does mm-hmm. not have to happen in person. So mm-hmm. that there that opens up a huge audience. It really does. Hey, John, thanks for the uh, question. Great uh, question. Thanks for calling Don in. Don answered that better than Lauren and I could have. <laughs> well, differently. I I don't think better, Thank just you. differently. Thank you, John. We appreciate the call. Um, so. You're keeping busy. Tell us about your day-to-day uh, 
job at the U of I. Well, my wife, as I mentioned, just retired, and I'm uh, on faculty at U of I, and I, I was going to quit last year, but the fact that she retired now, I, you know, let me put it this way. She likes it when I'm home. I mean, she likes it when I'm not home, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think uh, she needs a year to really think about what do we do, where do, do we build another place, we like the house we live in and everything, all those kind of things. Um, she needs a year to think about things. So I went another year, and our department chair, uh, Dr. Santos, Carla Santos, was great. She just said, Don, just tell us how you wanted to go this last year. So this is kind of a transitional year for me. I'm, I'll You've be been teaching. a planner, Don. You plan stuff. I'm, 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 I'm kind of amazed because I just try to live from one day to the next. I don't even know if tomorrow's coming. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, we all, we're all there. Um, we're all there, Lauren. And... Uh, for me, it's always what's next. You know, I always want to look at what's next. And um, I would have thought, you know, we both retire. As we talked full circle to the beginning, we look to go out and find somewhere cool to live, you know, whether it's connecting her family. Um, but Champaign is a cool place to live. Yeah. And we're really thinking this is it. You know, I mean, I, there's a, there, there was a website called find a spot, findyourspot.com. And I encouraged my wife to go on there and because I wanted her to be open-minded about where we could move. And I was trying to get her to think of other places. So we, you go in there, you punch in all the stuff you love, and it spits back maybe 20 cities where you should be looking, you know. And so she did this activity, and I thought, this will open her mind. And we did it independently, and we were going to share notes. I did it. Number two on my list was Champaign-Urbana. So the thing totally backfired. She said, see, see, this is a great place. you got to look at it, you know. <laughs> Well, good to see you, and always great to catch up with you. Good stuff today. Thanks for your time. Uh, thank you guys for everything you do for the community and the way you connect sports with this being a special place to live. You know, Champaign-Urbana is special because of people like it you. It is. And it's a great place to live. But you don't just talk about sports. You tie it in. You know, it's part of where we are. Sports is part of Champaign-Urbana in a special way, and uh, it's not just about whether we're winning at the time. It, there's so much more to it. About a year ago at this time, Lauren and I looked at each other and said, how are we going to do this? <laughs> oh, yeah. How are we going to do a sports show with no sports? Yes, and there will, there will be things you'll take forward from right. what you invented, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, that were good ideas. Yeah. yeah. Don Harden, everybody. Thank you, you, Donald. Thank you need to take a break. Much, we'll do that. We'll talk some baseball when we come back. Stay with us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Back after this. 1033 on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. Illinois football, basketball, the Olympics. And we're saving baseball till this segment as we welcome into the program our friend from St. Louis, Tom Ackerman, KMOX Sports. How you doing, Thomas? Doing great, buddy. How are you? What in the wide world of sports is going on with the, <laughs> with the Cardinals these days? Besides Adam Wainwright, he seems to be... Uh, the guy that if you need a win, you can put him in and he'll get it for you. But uh, otherwise, it's been an interesting uh, season and interesting series with the Braves just uh, completed. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. They won yesterday. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about before that. No, uh, you know, if not for Adam Wainwright, this season would be over. Over. It might be over anyway, but uh, it would be absolutely over. I mean, he saved them time and time again. It really is amazing. And, uh, you know, he's a special talent, special human being. It does not surprise me that he has them in a position to win because he's a, a tremendous pitcher who's kind of, you know, learned after losing some velocity how to 
craft his pitches and how to be great. And, um, you know, this is what he's done throughout his career. And yesterday was a, a great example of that coming off a, a rough series against the Braves, a team that kind of has been the exact same position as the Cardinals, you know, kind of a 500 team kind of hanging around. Um, the problem is the Braves had the Mets fall back to them and the Brewers have kind of taken off. The Braves also were aggressive at the trade deadline and the Cardinals were not. And the result you got was the Cardinals getting swept in a series. It was a little closer, uh, you know, than a, than a blowout. It's not like they got dominated in the games. They just let games get away. And they've been doing this all year long. They have let games get away from them. They've uh, done it by way of bases loaded walks. They're about to set a major league record. It's very unlike the Cardinals, who are usually a buttoned-up organization, very clean baseball, and when you walk people and, and drive in runs that way, it's far from clean. So that's been disappointing. Well, Tom, I'm going to get around. I'm, I'm going to start thinking about next year already. Uh, shame on me, but I think that the Cardinals have to start building. I don't see them getting in the playoffs this year. How do you see, first of all, you got to bring Wainwright back, right? And who do you bring back? with him uh, in, in that rotation. Yeah, if he can pitch this way at 39, 40 years old, he certainly can do it at 40, 41. And Yadier Molina's got to come back too. And Molina would be open to playing, of course, for the Cardinals in 2022. So, yeah, I think you extend both of them, bring them both back, re-sign both of them. And then, you know, see where it goes in 23 from there. But they're both playing at a very good clip. You know, I'd like to see Andrew Kisner – you know, get a little more time and have Yachty take a few more days off, but Yachty's Yachty. I mean, he's going to push every single day to play. It's what he wants to do. They've got a great prospect in the system, Yvonne Herrera, uh, who's going to be their catcher eventually. Now, as for pitching, you know, they don't have a ton of prospects that are, like, ready to go into the rotation. I mean, the one is their number one prospect, Matthew Libertor, but he has yet to pitch in a big league game. It's hard to just expect him to go right into the rotation in 22, but I think he'll be a candidate. Beyond Wainwright, you have Jack Flaherty, who pitched yesterday uh, down in Springfield and will be ready to rock here pretty soon. Um, you'll have uh, you know an opportunity to get some of your younger pitchers in there, like Dakota Hudson should be back. I think there's a chance that you could see you know, KK come back. I think, you know, Miles Michaelis has always been a factor in this organization, but the problem there is, you know, he's, he's had a lot of injuries. I'm not sure you can ever count on him, you know, until we see him a lot more. I mean, we just haven't seen him since, you know, pitching in the playoffs in 2019. Um, Alex Reyes is an interesting case. So Alex is pitching in the back end of the bullpen. That spot was Jordan Hicks until Hicks got hurt. Reyes took over and has been fantastic, but he wants to be a starter. And, you know, I, I know that I, I, the organization has always viewed him as a starter. If they feel comfortable and ramp those innings up and stretch him out to be a starter, I think he'd be dynamic. I really do. Uh, so, I mean, it, it has the makings, really, of a good rotation for many years because they do have some young guns in there that can get the job done. But as they showed in 2021, you can't just – bank on five people or six people. I think you need to have seven, eight, nine people in your organization that you can count on to start and have that depth because that's what bit him this year, quite honestly. You know, they they banked a little too much on Michaelis being ready. He wasn't. 
uh, Flaherty, that hurt them, of course. No one anticipates that your ace is going to be out for two months or plus. But it does happen. So you need to have a backup plan, and if not for Adam Wainwright, they'd be uh, dead and gone. Talking to Tom Ackerman, KMOX in St. Louis. I could have won uh, some money in Vegas if I had a place to bet this morning that uh, Marty from Pinehurst would call in <laughs> to talk about the Cardinals. And sure enough, here he is. Go ahead, Marty. Yeah, morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. And you, you tell Don Harden for me that as a as a guy who grew up in B-Mint, him mentioning B-Mint warmed the cockles of my heart. Just, just <laughs> oh. telling that. We'll do that. Hey, uh, no offense to you being from Monticello, Lauren. Um, Tom, um, I will tell you this. No one expects that much pitching to go down. You knew Hudson wasn't going to be here this year, but Hicks, Kim was hurt for a while, Miklas, Flaherty, and the list goes on. Let's let's put that aside because it is what it is. And I think they have young pitching coming, and, and you're right. You need to do what the Dodgers do in stockpile starting pitching. However, there is a black hole, and I mean a black hole at shortstop, that something needs to be done with even if he has a contract. He's either got to perform or something else has got to happen there. And what's the odds that Gorman comes up to play second base and Tommy Evans becomes a super utility player next year? Those are the questions I've got. What do you do at shortstop, and where's Gorman going to fit in, or is he a trade piece to get you something, which I don't think he is, or they'd have moved him this time. Okay, yeah, I'll work in reverse there, and I appreciate the question. Nolan Gorman is definitely going to come up. I don't know if it happens this year, but he is hitting and starting to really turn it on at Memphis. I think it would make sense to see what you have there, but remember when you do bring him up, it starts his clock. So there is a development um, aspect to this. They want to make sure that he's under control for a certain amount of time, but he is your future. Uh, he's going nowhere. Uh, there's, they're not trading Nolan Gorman. He is going to be And the, the new CBA may affect baseman. that, too. He's going to be. It's very possible. He's going to be your future second baseman or possibly somewhere else, but probably second base. It's where they've been grooming him to be. So he, this guy can hit, and he will, as long as he hits, he can play pretty much anywhere. Um, so Gorman's going to be up. Uh, what about shortstop? I, uh, it's interesting. I'm not, uh, I, I've been saying this all season. They should let Edmundo Sosa play more. If Paul DeYoung is struggling, then he needs to take some time and get himself back and play at a part-time role where Sosa delivers them a lot of energy. He's aggressive. He's got good pop. By the way, he's a really good fielder. And, you know, if there was anyone they were going to trade in their regular lineup, I thought DeYoung would be a pretty good candidate for that. Now, Paulie has power. We all know that. But outside of his home runs, he just doesn't drive in runs. You rarely see him stringing hits together. He's very streaky when it comes to power. Um, the, The shortstop depth in the organization is pretty good. I mean, they have this kid, Mason Wynn, as a player. He's going to be a ways mm-hmm. away, though. He's a single A right now, but he's down the road. Uh, Delvin Perez is a very good shortstop. So they, they're okay there. Tommy Edmond could play it, uh, definitely, and he's a utility player that they, of course, uh, I love and I think would be best suited in that role to play multiple positions and, and play, if not every day, almost every day at a different spot. To me, I get aggressive in this offseason. So this is just me talking. I'm not hearing this from the Cardinals themselves, but it was reported that they kicked the tires on Trevor Story for a trade. 
Now, they've got $60-plus million coming off the books this year. The Dexter Fowler contract is part of that. The biggest part of that is Carlos Martinez, Andrew Miller, and Matt Carpenter. That's a lot of money coming off the books. They will have some money to spend in free agency. You mentioned CBA. That's an important aspect of all this, too. Yep. But Trevor Story is a player that, if it were me running things, I would definitely go after. You know, To play alongside his buddy Nolan Arenado, left side of the infield, you talk about an infield. I mean, give me an infield of Goldschmidt, second base. You could just take your pick of Edmund, Gorman, Sosa, whoever you want to put there. Shortstop story, third base Arenado. Pretty good outfield, I would say, in those top three of O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson. Yachty and Kisner behind the plate in the rotation and a pretty good bullpen. Let's go. And I feel pretty good about funny that. How the, funny, Tom, how the, uh, funny how the outfield, which is a big problem last year, isn't such a big problem this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, so the, here's just a look at the outfield real quick. Um, Tyler O'Neill is going to be a star. I'm, I'm, I don't think there's any doubt about it at this point. This kid is getting it. He's got great strength. He's the second fastest player on the team. Harrison Bader's the other one. Uh, and, you know, he had four hits yesterday. Dylan Carlson is a star in the making, without a doubt. So uh, the outfield's good. Now they're going to have to have some outfield depth there, too. And, you know, I saw the Braves trade for Jock Peterson. I saw the Cubs acquire Jock Peterson. I said That's in the offseason, Jock Peterson is who the Cardinals should have tried to pick up. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. left-handed bat out in the outfield would have been a lot of fun to have. But, you know what, it didn't happen. Now, they kind of banked on Justin Williams get doing something he didn't. They banked on some other uh, guys jumping in there, Lane Thomas. They gave him a shot. It didn't work out. I, I don't know if they gave him a long enough chance, but they it it didn't work. So they're going to be on, in the hunt for an outfielder, too. And I think it'll be an interesting offseason. Marty, we appreciate the call. Another couple of minutes with uh, Tom Ackerman. Well, you bring up the point. If you were, if you use uh, Edmund as a, a utility man, he would be your fourth outfielder too. I mean, if you were to set it up that way, that wouldn't be a bad that wouldn't be a bad situation with Gorman at second and, and uh, Edmund filling in wherever needed. Edmund's a really good player, a really really good player. He can play outfield. He can play infield. He can do just about anything. So, I mean, I'd be really happy with him in that spot uh, as a utility guy. As a fourth outfielder, I'm doing a little shopping this offseason to see if I can add some pop. Now, Edmund's got some power, but, I mean, he's not a power hitter. I'm looking for somebody who's got some pop and um, someone I can bring off the bench. I just don't think the bench is strong enough. And and, and I'm I'm concerned about – Concerned about injuries. You know, O'Neill, I just touted how great he is, and I think he's going to be a star, but he does get hurt. Bader, you know, is a high energy guy and does a lot of great things, but he's been hurt too. It's just something to keep an eye on. I think the Cardinals will add this offseason. I don't know how aggressive they'll be. They keep it close to the vest, but they tend to make their big splashes in the offseason and not at the trade deadline. Last offseason, John Mosellock started to hint to me on my show on Sunday that they were they had some things in the works. People rolled their eyes, and then he dropped the bomb that Nolan Arenado was coming to St. Louis. So, I mean, it, it would be like them 
to try to make a splash. It's kind of their tendency. Uh, on that $60 million that you mentioned that they've got, were you including Carpenter uh, as not returning? I'm including Carpenter as not returning. Yeah. I, I would be I would be surprised if uh, if they had him come back. And certainly not at that number, but um, you know, it it's it's been a great career. I think it faded here, of course, numbers wise the last few years. He's been a really good cardinal. Yeah, the shift kinda killed him, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. Yeah, you know, I think that and um who knows? I, you know, I, I tend to think that sometimes these guys' injuries do affect your play. And he started two or three seasons in a row with a tight back in spring training and missed time and never really got on the right track. I mean, ever since he went on that home run binge in August of 2018 and he couldn't miss and became an MVP candidate and they were selling salsa in the grocery store with his name <laughs> on it. And he, was, and he was in all these commercials and he was unbelievable. Uh, ever since then, he just hasn't been able to, to hit. And, you know, he's been a good player, but, you know, they, they pretty much told you when they got Nolan Arenado that his days were numbered. He didn't have a position anymore. We'll let you go with this. Uh, Jack Flaherty pitched, uh, was, I think it was last night, wasn't it, again? And uh, will apparently make the trip with the Cardinals uh, to Pittsburgh. What's the, What are you hearing about him? Well, all systems go. I mean, I think the big thing is this morning, so I haven't heard how he's feeling today. Right. You know, usually these guys are feeling great after a game, and they've got their arm wrapped, and they're all smiles. I'm just hoping that when the Cardinals see him today or when he visits with the trainers today that he's got that big smile and says, let's go. He's a great competitor. He's going to be, and already is, one of the best pitchers in the game. And, you know, it's a, it was a huge loss, huge, huge loss to not have him. So, that's good, and then you cross your fingers that Michaelis will also be good for them. And, you know, the only way I'm just – I'm not – again, I'm not waving the white flag here, but, you know, the Cardinals are in a position where they're going to have to get really hot, not just win series, but go on a streak, and the Brewers are going to have to fall back, preferably before they play them in the middle of August. I think they're going to have to sweep that series at Bush Stadium to get back into this thing. They've got 13 games against the Brewers left. The other thing, Ooh. though, is the Brewers have seven games, well, six now because they played them last night, against the Giants, the best team in baseball. And they also have three games against the Dodgers on their schedule. So, you know, you're just going to need some help. The Cardinals are going to have to beat up on the Royals and the Pirates and the Tigers and, and other teams like that. Hey, Tom, thanks for your time. Always enjoy talking baseball with you, and we'll do it again soon. Guys, it's my pleasure. College football is right around the corner. Can't wait to see what happens in the Big Ten. Thanks again. See ya. Yep. Tom Ackerman, sports director at KMOX in St. Louis, longtime contributor to uh, this program. 1049, we'll take a break and be back with more on IPELA Saturday Sports Talk in just a moment. We've got about five or six minutes left on the uh, program. Phone line still open if you want to jump in. 217-356-9397. Busy morning. Kent Brown was with us to get started. Doug Bouchon talking uh, Illinois football. He covers Illinois football and other sports for Orange and Blue News. Matt Tate from uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Don Harden, former volleyball coach. And Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis. 
all-star cast, and then you and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody has to fill in on this end, right? <laughs> That's right. we we got to pass it around to, to everybody. Well, I want to know, what, what's your? I haven't asked you that. What's your real take on, on uh, uh, the conference realignment stuff? Do you, do you see the Big Ten as needing, or do you see them as adding anybody? I don't. I, I think maybe they stay, unless they could get Notre Dame, and then you find well, somebody to go with them, and that doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, I think... The Big Ten is fine the way it is. Yeah, I I don't see where I, anybody adds anything. You know, if they had, you know, the, the Big Ten could have taken Missouri at any point over a number of years. Right. And just basically, I, I, I kept hearing, we've got that footprint already. We've got the St. Louis area already because it's part of the Illinois footprint, really. And so uh, if you're not going to take Missouri... I can't. I mean, I know that Kansas has got a much stronger basketball program, but Missouri's got a better football program, and and Missouri. Um, I just Kansas get, get, does give you Kansas City, but I don't see it. Do you see what uh, Steve Spurrier said about Texas? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, Spurrier. He, he's not afraid to be outspoken, is he? So why you you're mediocre in the Big Twelve? You might as well go to the SEC and be mediocre. <laughs> yeah, and the AD from was it Baylor or one of those places? There were the foot, I can't remember who it was. Somebody from Baylor made some comments about the fact that you know they couldn't win where they were, and so I still get a kick out of the fact that how much Oklahoma has always hated Texas and, until it's time to to well, go with money. Them. Money talks, well, Steve. no doubt. So when it's not about the money, it's about the money. Yeah, Illinois football getting uh, set to practice. Actually, they're on the field now. Uh, the last practice of the week. They'll have a day off tomorrow. Yeah, I'm. I'm afraid that we're not going, you know, we're, we continue to report what they say, and that's fine, um, but we really don't know much more about football other than Slaughter having the, the fractured ankle, uh, and maybe we've learned some things about Beeson that he's not uh, developing as well as we hope, you know, maybe it's injury still, uh, but the the team is taking some kind of form right now and we're not really clear on some of the positions particularly in the defensive backfield I think we're not clear I don't think yeah and I'm not uh, you know they've got a veteran back at quarterback in Brandon mm -hmm. Peters who is not that highly regarded among Big Ten quarterbacks by the national media or whoever's yeah. making some of these polls well, and he's had a series of being injured. I've, I got pretty. I think he throws the ball well. I think he, he, he does that. a little better than we th give him credit for. I, I think he's a good quarterback. But I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's better than Tanner Morgan at uh, Minnesota. I'm, in a, I'm really anxious. To, I know I, I'm, I'm in alone in this thought, but I think Minnesota is going to give Ohio State a lot of trouble, at least for the first half. And maybe if you can stay close for a half, maybe you can make it that a ball game. I mean, Ohio State's replace their whole line. I know they're, they're star players, but they're playing their first game in many cases, and Minnesota's got a lot of experience back in the line. Plus, plus they got Ibrahim and the, the running back, who's a bowling ball, and they've got and, and a good one, maybe the best running back in the league. I don't know. And, of course, uh, Morgan's good. So I think that first game is very interesting to me. Uh, but um, So I, I think, you know, we're counting on experience at Illinois to, to, to pay dividends. It's experience, but not in this system. So how is that going to work? 
I think that uh, is an interesting game that you mentioned. Of course, uh, the Illinois-Nebraska game uh, the week before that is... Well, Indiana-Iowa, too. That's that's where I was going with that, Indiana-Iowa. Indiana people are talking like this has been a great program for many years. (laughs) (laughs) And it hasn't been for many years, but boy, oh boy, the last couple years. And that dive that Felix made against uh, Penn State is still in my mind. I don't know... For an absolute fact that he made the was that an extra point when they mm-hmm. went for two, mm-hmm. uh, I did, I it, that football may have touched the grass may may have touched a blade of grass just before he hit the the, the end zone there and I you know it, it counted and they won the game but boy oh boy that could have gone either way that got call a, got about a minute left one other Olympics note that we didn't get to was a baseball team lost early this morning yeah two to nothing to uh, Japan but they got the silver. Mm-hmm. That was for the uh, gold medal. So, yeah. what, what are you doing the rest of the day? Well, um, I'm going to, I, you know, I don't know what I'm, I'm going to go over to, to uh, here, Bielma at uh, yeah. 12:30 or whatever it is. He's going to talk and, after uh, practice. And uh, after that, I've got a kind of an open day. Very good. Appreciate your time. Thanks to all those guests I mentioned a little bit ago. Thanks to Dave Leak for helping us here behind the scenes. And we'll talk to you again soon, right here on WDWS. Champagne Urbana for uh, Champagne Urbana for Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend, everybody.